and welcome to Seven Talks, the digital digestive designed to bring together the best work coming out of the seven stars and from across the media galaxy. I'm Fran. I'm Amelia. I'm Ben. And I'm Sarah. And together we're here to guide you through this month's journey into what's hot in media land beyond the sweltering tiny room that we are currently sitting in, as well as giving you a peek into our brand spanking new white paper, Representing. So... What is hot in media land? That is the question. Our first read today looks at the work that came out of the Channel 4 upfronts. Early this month, celebrities and media planners alike gathered at Camden's Roundhouse for Channel 4's 2018 upfronts. On the 4th of July, Channel 4 brought famous faces to the stage to announce several future programming launches, including a Brexit referendum drama starring Benedict Cumberbatch, a Victorian comedy featuring Matt Berry named Year of the Rabbit, and a new dating show, Flirty Dancing. On top of this, Channel 4 announced plans to inject an extra 10 million funding into E4 and gave the industry a sneak peek of an exciting new advertising product called Contextual Moments, soon to be available for brands to trial. Contextual Moments is an ad proposition allowing brands to appear on TV within contextually relevant environments. For example, a character in a show might be seen enjoying a plate of chips at home and consequently a brand's oven chips advert would be placed in the following ad break. The pioneering technology will be powered by artificial intelligence, using algorithms to recognise visual and audio cues to identify the right contextual moment for an ad of a particular product or category. However, until the algorithms have been properly developed, the system will be manually overseen by humans, who will remain vital for approving each contextual moment before going live at this stage. Channel 4's own research into this new technology sounds promising. Findings concluded that placing contextual ads next to regular spots meant spontaneous awareness increases by 34%, while positive brand perception increases by 12%, and purchase intent by 13%. After development of the AI-driven tech, Channel 4 will be looking to sell contextual moments and bundles to brands across different product categories. The Chief Commercial Officer of Channel 4, Jonathan Allen, said... Our pioneering ad tech provides an exciting opportunity for advertisers to test a global first in linear TV ad targeting, which we know delivers strong results. Channel 4 are currently on the lookout for partners to test the new technology, with an aim for more research and a full market launch in 2019. While an interesting tech-led development in the otherwise relatively traditional space of linear TV, advertisers are likely to have reservations, particularly when it comes to negative contexts and brand safety. The challenge for Channel 4 would be in ensuring its algorithms correctly identify brand-safe scenes or contexts. However, despite potential uncertainties, Channel 4 are taking a bold step in the right direction to enable smarter and more effective TV planning. Fascinating stuff in a medium where innovation is actually really hard to achieve. I, for one, don't need anyone to encourage me to eat more chips beyond a single advert, so let's see how that pans out. Our next topic is around podcasting and how it's really hit the mainstream. Now, I do get the irony that we are talking about this in a podcast, so let's just continue. This month, podcasting service Acast announced that they've passed 100 million monthly listings, doubling the amount they had this time last year. For regular podcast listeners, its surging popularity may actually seem unsurprising, but Acast's thriving fan base actually represents a major milestone in the significant growth of podcast listenership in the UK. Podcasts are perhaps unjustly considered niche. For example, although coming from humble beginnings, fan favourite My Dad Wrote a Porno recently sold out the Royal Albert Hall with its live show. Not bad for a series that launched just three years ago, having been recorded in one of the presenters' living rooms. ACAST's own audio intelligence report shows that 23% of the UK population have listened to a podcast in the last month, 
while 27% of 16 to 34s listen at least once a week. On average, Brits actually spend more than three and a half hours per week with the channel. Moreover, Audioboom, another main podcasting platform, reported year-on-year revenue growth of 329% in Q3 2017, showing that brands are becoming more and more interested in the medium to communicate to their audience. The channel is growing rapidly in terms of reach, and that thus has real advertising potential. Podcasts offer a unique way for brands to connect with their audience on a much more personal and integrated level. And the brands are waking up to this and becoming smarter in the way that they're using them. The channel lends itself well to branded content, not just being a pure audio delivery mechanism. We're seeing more brands working with content producers to create their own episode or series, in addition to bespoke sponsor reads from the podcasters themselves. The IB has also identified podcasts as a channel that needs to be given full attention in the digital audio space. In August 2017, they released a podcasting playbook to guide marketers in how they approach advertising on podcasts. Perhaps the key part of podcasting's immediate future, though, is in how advertisers can go about buying it in conjunction with other audio activity, both to ensure consistent brand messaging, but also to manage frequency. Ultimately, this recent news has confirmed what we all know anecdotally, that podcast is a unique and valuable channel, as yet untapped by brands who may be unsure about how to use them in the most effective way. Repurposing audio ads is one way into the channel, but partner with talent can be an even better one. One thing's for certain though, the future is bright for the medium and for brands who are willing to find their voice. So in the same way that podcasts need to be part of a kind of long-term view of what you should be doing with your media, we think there's a really, really interesting conversation about diversity and how that ladders into your long-term both media and brand strategy. More importantly, though, given everything that's gone on this month, we want to talk to you about Pride. Pride Month and the Pride in London Festival has come to a close for another year. During each year's celebrations, we see more and more brands engage with Pride, and it's easy to see why. Pride in London saw approximately one million attendees this year, and in turn, London retailers saw huge spikes in on-the-day revenues. Although impossible to measure with pinpoint accuracy, some report the pink pound in the UK to be worth up to £70 billion annually. Unfortunately, Pride is often tainted by the perception that brands exploit the event for their own gains. Consumers remain unconvinced by flash-in-the-pan rainbow-coloured marketing that appears once a year. LGBT plus consumers, and those in support of the LGBT plus community in particular, can see right through these tactics. If a brand is deemed to be exploiting a market, they risk losing consumers rather than gaining them. Much like any area of diversity, brands need to strive for authenticity. In the US, 64% of LGBT plus consumers and allies said they were more likely to spend with a brand if they deemed them inclusive. However, inclusivity is not simply introducing a same-sex couple into your campaign for one month of the year. It should be a continuous communications effort and far-reaching business objective designed to ensure genuine diversity. Most importantly, the motivations for inclusivity should stretch beyond just profit. Much like other marginalised groups, the LGBT plus community face huge difficulties. 68% of LGBT people avoid coming out at work, while two in five have experienced harassment within the last 12 months. Advertising can help to action positive changes by contributing to our cultural landscape and in turn helping to shift public opinion. A great example of this was the Nike Yes campaign in Australia where they turned their classic swoosh logo into a symbol for social acceptance in the marriage equality postal vote. 
For those brands looking to launch into new markets, it can be a sensitive territory to navigate. But there are more resources than ever available to help them tread carefully. For example, Pride AM, the ad industry's LGBT network, released Outvertising, a white paper exploring how to do LGBT plus advertising well. Similarly, other specialist consultancies and agencies, including other Vox, have begun to launch, providing intelligent LGBT targeting in digital media. Brands have come a long way on their diversity journey, but there is still a lot to be learned. Lots to be learnt indeed. Ben is actually going to come on to share some strategies and tactics for brands on that later. Now, however, we will shift our focus to the tantalisingly titled Ozone Project. In 2018, we've seen a real shift towards better cooperation between publishers with the launch of three game-changing initiatives, the Ozone Project, Impact and PAMCO. These initiatives have been developed with the intention of bolstering the ways in which advertisers can access high-reaching inventory safely, cost-effectively and at scale, simultaneously breathing life back into print industry revenues. Impact, the newest of these developments, comes in the form of a premium market-wide takeover, offering advertisers a presence across almost every major news brand's homepage and the first print ad of almost every major UK newspaper, uniformly for a day. Its cost-effectiveness for mass reach has been conceived to rival out-of-home TV and radio. With almost all the national press on board and 24 regional news brands in Reach's big city package, which includes the Daily Record and Manchester Evening News included, its potential reach is staggering. That amounts to 21 million adults in a single day. And with frequency across the different news brands measured at 2.43 OTS a day, it makes for a formidable 51.4 million impacts. But... With a price tag of £375,000, it is a big investment and may not appeal to all advertisers. Even its mass broadcast coverage might not suit campaigns aimed at more intricate segmentations. The idea for Impact was born out of PAMCO, a new measurement currency that combines deduplicated print, mobile and desktop readership figures. PAMCO will reset the way the industry treats the two modes of communication as part of a singular medium. Finally, Last month, The Guardian, Telegraph and News UK unveiled the Ozone Project, their own unified digital ad network. It has been specifically designed to deliver simplicity, brand safety and a cost-effective scale of reach comparable to social media in the UK, of which there are 39.4 million unique users. The Ozone Project is a deeply competitive and deftly designed means of offering advertisers tailored access to its various trusting audiences. The Ozone Project is a deeply competitive and deftly designed means of offering advertisers tailored access to its various trusting audiences. Whereas Impact is more a proclamation of the powerful reach of news brands across print and digital as a single whole. Both, along with PAMCO, breathe new life back into the value of print as a broadcast medium. Perhaps a constant furore around Facebook's place in publishing has been the catalyst for news brands to finally, after years of speculation, evolve and band together. Between the massive appetite for news and for trustworthy content, it's been a sensible move. So, is print a dying medium? Not at all. It might even be the one most well-equipped and ready to evolve. So, from the news brands joining together to create something better, 
We have partnered at the Seven Stars with Sign Salad to come up with a white paper called Representing, which is effectively our rallying cry to the industry to work together to better represent diversity. When it comes to actually tackling and championing diversity within campaigns, brands and agencies are faced with a minefield of issues to navigate, with a great deal of consumer sensitivity around how, and how deeply, commercial organisations should get involved. Indeed, when they do take on a responsibility to promote greater diversity, their approaches are not always well received. For example, despite research showing that 79% of people feel gay women are underrepresented in advertising, 42% feel events like Pride are just exploited by brands. For advertisers who do get it wrong, judgments made in the court of social media are immediate and damaging, just ask Pepsi. So what exactly can brands do to approach inclusivity in an authentic way? How can advertisers ensure their efforts are not just translated as cynical and opportunistic? Now we love a challenge at the Seven Stars, so we partnered with Sign Salad, a cultural insights and semiotics agency, to co-author a white paper on how brands can approach diversity with sensitivity and authenticity. The white paper is a thrilling read, if we don't say so ourselves, but for the time poor amongst us, there are three key areas we looked into and developed strategies for brands in each. The first is avoiding tokenism. It may sound really obvious, but poorly judged, half-hearted efforts to address diversity, however well-intentioned, are readily sniffed out by consumers as box-ticking exercises. Indeed, one-off activities that draw attention to diversity can actually do more harm than good, presenting a more diverse worldview as an exception that opposes the norm, coded as something outlying regular activity. The antidote is consistency. Take pride in London. Topshop and Topman turned their stores rainbow, pumped out a range of pride merchandise and clothing, and preached at the altar of pride for the month of June. The rest of the year, they still represent gendered propositions and have gendered changing rooms. Are they really taking steps to embrace the LGBT community, or is June fast becoming gay Christmas, another opportunity on the retail calendar? For brands to bring this more genuine sense of inclusivity into the DNA of their brand and their comms, it's imperative that diversity is embedded in the makeup of the creative team behind it. Lloyds Banking Group did exactly this for its By Your Side executions in 2017, including its rainbow team in discussions on how best to represent bisexuality in their out of home. James Villas is another hero in this space, with a long-term partnership with Gadio and heterosexual and LGBT couples represented evenly throughout their site, normalising the holiday experience regardless of sexuality. This takes us on to the second principle, showcasing the minorities unseen or ignored. Brands have received criticism for appearing willing to include minorities who immediately signify diversity, but not those whose differences might require more nuance in how they are portrayed. Take the Christmas 2017 argument around princess mixed race. Retailers dipping their toes in the pool of diversity, but at a very simplistic level. A mixed race couple shown but in a stereotypical, non-layered way. Cookie cutter advertising across John Lewis, Apple and Debenhams. Ultimately, anyone can feel like a minority. 62% of those in Yorkshire feel advertising fails to represent life where they're from, despite making up 5.3 million of the population. And this status isn't always visible. One answer here is for advertisers to depict a plethora of difference, such as McCain's Here's to Love creative. They use flash cut techniques to ensure the different couples featured, disabled, mixed race, same sex, etc., had no more airtime than each other, coding their relationships as equally as important and worthy of attention and love. In other instances where brands do hone in on an unseen minority, it's important that the emphasis is not simply on difference, but on how that difference has made that group better or stronger. Highlight only to applaud. 
The Channel 4 Paralympics signed and subtitled Yes I Can Creative is a great example of this. Where the deaf actor, doing the signing, actually became the star of the show in his own right, due to his enthusiastic acting, costume changing and great sense of humour. Humour is, after all, something we all have in common. Our final theme is around resolving rather than reinforcing social division. This principle, highlighted by analysis, was the importance of difference being used as a force to galvanise. There is a danger that brands playing in this space only highlight social division. But Smirnoff's We're All Equal on a Dance Floor billboard execution is a prime example of a campaign that cleverly highlighted commonalities regardless of background. Airbnb's Super Bowl, We Belong Creative, another example of focusing on what brings us together rather than what pulls us apart. Plurality shown in a way which celebrates it rather than trying to create sameness. Examples such as these highlight how brands have come a long way on the diversity journey, but there are still learnings for advertisers looking to understand how communication cues can be received by consumers. Through our work, we have identified simple steps that can help advertisers achieve the delicate balance of championing inclusivity in a truly authentic way. But we do know that the road is long and the journey complicated. We're lucky enough to have one of the co-authors of The Seven Stars and Sign Salads representing paper in the studio with us. In fact, she's my lovely co-host, Fran. I thought we'd just, while we had you here, I thought we would ask you sort of, where did the inspiration for this white paper come from? It's it's really funny because it was actually a conference I attended earlier in the year where um, it felt like every single conversation, every single paper uh, was themed around diversity and inclusion and actually that's where the, the Lloyds Banking example came to light. So we felt like there was a gap in, in, in the market in terms of talking about it in a sort of a review way, if you like. Um, so that's how it was born. And why do you think at this point in time it, it's such a hot topic in the media landscape? I think now as you can get much more targeted and much more um, granular in terms of how you speak to consumers, there's really no excuse for brands not to be using those opportunities to m- ensure their creative resonates as strongly as, as the medium suggests. So if you can talk to a specific section of society physically, then why aren't you tailoring what you're giving them to that, whether it's a, a Manchester messaging in your ad or a, 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 a targeted piece of work towards a Muslim community or an LGBT community, for example. What I, what I find really, really interesting about the paper is that when I think of diversity, I, I think of, you know, for example, um, the What's Hop topic we had on LGBTQ plus representation, and I, I often think of kind of ethnic diversity. I think what's really interesting about this is actually the kind of rise of geolocated diversity, I suppose. So representing kind of Mancunians and, and not just having a constant London lens on it, I think is really, really fascinating. What What is it that brands can look to do specifically in their messaging? Because I would suspect in media, we've already got quite a laser focus on location. I think it's about things like regional voices. If you're recording a radio ad to go out to regional stations, why can't you record a few iterations with a local accent? You know, if you're um, digitally targeting, uh, you know, why can't you use regional faces? And in addition to that, it's bringing people into that process. We're a very London-centric industry as a whole, and it's unfortunate that um, many agencies struggle to get talent from outside the M25, which means that that lived experience is very limited, and it means that the, the sort of suggestions we have and the sort of um, uh, conversations we have can often be skewed. Um, 
we're very good at the seven stars and trying to encourage uh, more diversity in our talent uh, in terms of offering affordable accommodation for grads, in terms of reaching out to external universities and offering flexible working. However, this is something that not everyone's taking on. So it's really important to um, talk about it. And finally, if, if anyone wants to kind of have a look at the white paper or have any further conversations, what's the best way and place to do that? We have a PDF copy on our website, so the sevenstars.co.uk. Uh, we also have some hard copies, so do get in touch and we can post you on the old-fashioned way. And it does come highly recommended. Obviously, we're biased, but it is brilliant. We're going to finish off the podcast with a segment called Cool Stuff We Love, which is something we talk about regularly at work. Um, but we regularly share work that we really, really love and really, really passionate about. So we are going to give you, our podcast listener, three things that we think you should be looking out and doing in August. Our first recommendation is around audio, and funnily enough, it's not just to listen to us. Uh, we do recommend Griefcast, which is where the brilliant Cariad Lloyd talks to funny people about sad things. And it might not sound it, but it's actually one of the funniest and most emotional podcasts around. And it's recently been awarded, I think, Podcast of the Year. Uh, it also won big at the British Podcast Awards and has seen listening pretty much treble. So do tune in. So I've had a bit of a word with our TV team because obviously we're beginning to get in August flyers and September flyers. And I said, what should we be watching in August? And of course they came back and said, Sarah, we should be listening to or watching even the Great British, <laughs> the Great British Bake Off because who does not love the Great British Bake Off? I can hear everyone kind of going, yay, in the background. Um, but it's coming back for its much anticipated 2018 return. And we know from research that we've conducted that season nine is one of the fourth most anticipated TV events for 2018 for Brits. And that's out of our QT quantitative research. Um, so ultimately, you know, we have, have the people that we love coming back. We've got Noel, we've got Paul, we've got Sandy, we've got Prue, and they will be subjecting 12 new contestants to the horrors that is the technical bake, and we will all enjoy watching that. Last season on Channel 4 was their biggest show in 32 years, having moved from the BBC. The final last year saw over 10 million viewers tune in to see Sophie Faldo take down the crown. This year promises to be bigger, it promises to be better, so keep your eyes peeled towards the end of August. And then last but very much not least, we want to bring a bit of culture to the podcast. And if you uh, want to celebrate some holidays, hurrah, uh, potentially not in the heat, ZSL are giving kids the chance to put their animal skills to the test in their superhero academy. Captain Z, 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 is recruiting all superheroes and inducting them into the superhero academy to teach them the powers of animals, saving the world from the evil Plastico. We've not been yet, but we've had a sneak peek of some of the wonders our friends at Bearded Kitten have been working on, and we cannot wait to get down there. The Superhero Academy has already opened its doors and will be at London Zoo until the 2nd of September. One for the kids, and of course, the big kids amongst us. Well, that's all that we have time for this month's Seven Talks. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed it. If you've got any comments or any feedback, do get in touch with us. Alternatively, if you liked it, then please leave a five-star review on the podcast platform of your choice and make sure while you're there to hit subscribe and stay up to date with all the goings-on here at The Seven Stars. Uh, and finally, a big shout out to our perfect partners, Acast, for allowing media types to run roughshod over the delicate art of podcasting, as well as producer master in chief, Joel. Thanks, Joel. And that's all from us. Bye. Bye. Bye.
like to pause the podcast at this point and restart it as you go to bed? Ben's dulcet tones will take you through into sleepy, dreamy time.